We're going to be reading from Judges chapter 17 and 18, so you can open your Bibles there, open your app if that's what you prefer. If you don't have a Bible, we have some free ones just up at the front. And yes, so chapter 17 and 18 of Judges. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son, to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah, and the man Micah had a shrine, and he made it an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, And he sojourned there, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah uh, to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me and be to my father and uh, be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five abled men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtel, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite, and they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to uh, Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtel, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go. 
to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtel, and went up and encamped in Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On, the account, on this account, the, that place is called Medanadan. To this day, behold, it is the west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they p- passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, and a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be it to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man, or to be the priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you, that you come with such a company? And he said, You take my gods that I made, and the priest, and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me, What is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon. And they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Well, thanks, Nelson, for that marathon. (laughs) Very good job. We can give him a clap for that. Well, good morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron. Uh, I help serve in the young adults community here at uh, CGCC. Now, we've had a bit of a break from Judges, but it's really exciting to be back uh, in this book. It's been really an encouraging book for me, and I hope it has been for you too. There's something encouraging about seeing God working through the messiness of us as people. It sure makes getting up here a lot more bearable, knowing that he does that. 
But after being away for a couple of weeks, I realize it might be hard to remember what exactly has been going on in Judges. So I want to give a really fast recap of the story so far. You see, there's been this repeating cycle that's been happening throughout the book of Judges. The people of Israel who have been blessed by God, rescued by him from the nation of Egypt, and brought into the promised land, failed to drive out the nations around them, failed to be separate from the nations around them, and over time began to assimilate, to be exactly like them. They forgot the Lord their God, and they turned aside And because of this, God handed them over to their enemies in the hope that they may realize their sin and turn back to him. But what actually happens? It doesn't quite happen like that. Israel do cry out to the Lord, but most of the time they just cry out because of their anguish, because of the difficulty of their situation, not in repentance, but in anguish. And so God, in his mercy and his grace, he sends judges to rescue these people, to bring them back to him. And they come back, but only temporarily, because as soon as these judges die, Israel makes the same mistake and they turn back to their false gods. They turn back to sin and they forget the Lord. And so the cycle happens all over again. And what we've seen is not only does Israel's sin get worse and worse as we go throughout the book of Judges, but also the judges themselves get more and more dodgy, more and more sinful themselves. But in this mess, we have seen God's grace all throughout. And that's why Tiani's picture up here has actually grown on me more and more. Not that I didn't like it at first, I'm just not the arty type, so I couldn't really see what was going on. But as I look at it now, the messiness... Of, of the red and the blacks and the purples with the white of God's faithfulness all throughout really sums up the book of Judges. God's grace is there. God's mercy is there amidst a sinful and broken people. Today's section, we come to a new section in Judges. We've actually finished with the Judges part of Judges. We won't meet any more Judges. Samson was our last one and Shabu took us through that. And what the author is going to do in these last five chapters, he's going to zoom in for us. Because we've had kind of a, I guess, an overview of what the nation of Israel was doing. They turned away from the Lord, they sinned against him, they forgot him. But we don't really know the nitty-gritty details of what their issues were. And so these last five chapters are going to give us some really clear stories, some messy and gruesome stories at times, to show us just what Israel was doing that was so bad, that was so sinful before the Lord. And so let's jump right in. It's a long section, as you've heard, so we're not going to be able to go through it all. Um, But I do have three points I want to bring out. And I'll tell you from the front what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at why a homemade religion never works. And then we're going to finish with the remedy to that situation. But let's pray before we do that. I invite you to pray for me, to pray for yourselves that God's word may convict, encourage, and challenge our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray today that we will hear your word and take it to heart. I pray that you'll guard us from distractions. Lord, guard us from excuses. Expose our hearts, encourage our hearts, Lord, today. 
that we may fully, more fully uh, give our lives to you and worship you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as some of you know, I recently went over to Latvia with, and Poland with my wife. And going back to Latvia, this is the first time I've spent a decent amount of time, time there. We were there for three weeks. And one of the interesting new things that I noticed about Latvia is they're very superstitious. Very superstitious people. So, for example, I'll give you a couple of examples. If, if you accidentally step on someone's foot in Latvia, they need to step back on your foot. Otherwise, you're going to get in some kind of conflict with one another. So if you really want to annoy Signa, step on her foot and run away. No, Signa doesn't believe in this sort of stuff. But, but another example, if, if a, a black cat crosses the road in front of you, the path in front of you, you need to wait until another person passes unsuspectingly, not knowing that a black cat's passed, and then it will be all good for you to go through. But this also happens in a, a religious way as well. Even those who aren't Christians would be using baptism as a way to protect themselves. Everyone should be baptized, whether you believe in God or not, because it's a way of protecting yourself and winning your good favor. And today's passage, we're going to see some similar things happening. And it actually begins in a rather unusual way. Actually, before we start, I just want to say, you need to have God's word in front of you. I haven't put anything up on the screen. It's a long passage, so you need to track with what, 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 I'm, what we're going through. And so, As we saw, this passage begins in an unusual way. In the first few verses, we're introduced to two different characters, Micah and his mother. Now, it doesn't take long to see the messiness of this situation. We we see that Micah has actually stolen 1,100 pieces of silver from his own mother. By the way, we're in chapter 17. He's stolen 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. And in verse 2, he confesses and owns up to his theft. And look at his mother's response in verse 2. Blessed be my son by the Lord. She celebrates and blesses him. Now, I'm not a parent, and I'm definitely not a mother. But, so maybe I'm just missing something here. But if your son stole $1,000 from you and confessed to you, would your immediate response be, Blessed be my son by the Lord. I'd probably say there'd be more curses than blessings going on at that stage. And so this seemed kind of strange to me, what's going on in this story. But there is a key to understanding this, and it it helps us to see more of Micah's character. Because you'll notice in his confession in verse 2, he says this, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, I have them. So Micah was concerned about the curse. His mother had uttered a curse against the one who had stolen. He was concerned. And we'll see later that Micah's a very religious guy. And so he was concerned about this. This wasn't, wasn't good. And so he confesses to his mother. And his mother, obviously not expecting that his own, her own son would steal money from her, quickly tries to backtrack on what she said. Blessed be my son. Forget about what I said before. Blessed be my son by the Lord. So you can see here that both of them are concerned about this curse and in their religious way are trying to to cover it over. But it goes further than this. Perhaps they are still not sure whether things are okay. And so what they decide to do is Micah's mother decides to build idols from the money, to dedicate this 
money to the Lord and to build idols to set up in Micah's house. Despite the fact that this is exactly what God said they should not do. But we'll see as we go through that they had forgotten what God was like. And as it does in Judges, it gets worse. So, so Micah sets up these idols, which they shouldn't have done in his own home. And then he does something further to show, just to make sure that he's doing the religious thing. He decides to ordain one of his priests, one of his sons in verse 5. It talks about how he ordains one of his sons as a priest. Now, this was not okay in Israel. You couldn't just ordain one of your sons because you wanted him to be a priest. No, a priest had to be from the tribe of Levi, and they had a very specific role to represent God and to, and to, to, to work with the house of the Lord. And yet Micah, I think he knew this, but in his efforts to appease God and the gods, he sets up this priest for himself. And we see here that Micah is ultimately doing what he wants to do. And so already we see this messiness in these first six verses. And verse six sums it up really well. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So what have we learned about Micah? He's a sinful guy who would steal from his own mother. And yet at the same time, He's a religious guy who does the religious things to try and win God over. And we'll continue to see this as we go through. The story continues in verse 7 and introduces us to a new character who comes to Micah's house. Now we don't receive his name because that's not what's important about this new character. We learn something else about him in the exchange in verse 9. Looking at verse 9. This man comes to Micah, and Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. So you see, Micah hears that this guy is a Levite. And from what we just spoke about, we know that Levites were the priests of God in Israel. So you can just imagine Micah being the type of character who he he is. His ears just prick up. When he hears that this guy's a Levite, he thinks this would be the perfect thing to add to my religiousness. And so he immediately asks this Levite to come and stay with him because ultimately he knows his son isn't a legit priest. So he asks this Levite, come and be a priest to me. And when I got to this point in the text, I've got to be honest, I thought, Micah's going to get it here. The, the priest, the Levite priest is going to walk into his home, he's going to see the idols, and he's going to rebuke him for, for worshipping idols. And I think the text tries to draw you into that. The end of verse 10 says, and the Levite went in, and then verse 11 says, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons, Verse 12, and Michael ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. He was content. This Levite priest who was supposed to be serving the house of God is content to live with a man with idols and serve them. Hope you can see 
and get a grasp of how tragic this is, that this is what is happening in the nation of Israel. But this was the tragedy of the times. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we get the most key statement of these initial verses that show Micah's heart, shows exactly where he's at and what he's thinking in verse 13. This is how he sums up his situation now that he's got the Levite priest. He says, Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Is there any more revealing statement than that? To see Micah's heart. Because at the one time he was living the way that he wanted with with sin in his own life and yet at the same time he was trying to win over God's favour by these religious acts. And that brings us to our first point. Homemade religion has no power to change you and to bring you to a right relationship with God. You see, Micah completely misunderstood God. He had made his God like all the other nations. He had reduced God to someone he could control. You see, he had forgotten that God, that Yahweh had delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into this land, that he loved them, not because of anything in them, but because of his great love. They didn't need to earn God's favor. But what they did need was obedience and trust in him. But Micah had reduced God to a God who could easily be won over, a God who was not primarily concerned with what was going on in their hearts, but was primarily concerned with the religious acts, the outward acts that made them look good. He chose to play the religious game. Micah thought he could live in whatever way he wanted as long as he played this religious game and kept God happy. And does this not sum up much of our culture today. You know, I was at the Mind Body Spirit Festival and person after person will tell me that they believe in God. And then I'll ask them, what does that mean for you? And almost always it does not actually impact the way that they're living their lives. It may impact some of the things they say. Most of the time they can't even answer who God is. But they reduce God to someone who fits in with the way they want to live. This is what I think God's like. And Micah had done the exact same thing. He'd reduced God to a distant God who could be controlled, but who didn't actually transform the way that he lived. And bringing this closer to home, I know that there's probably some Micahs sitting in this room this morning. That there are those of you today who have been coming to church maybe most of your life, who have been involved in small groups, serving in the church, doing these things. But in reality, these are the things you're looking to, to make you right with God. That it's not about a change in your heart, that it's about keeping up the religious acts. Maybe going to church, maybe saying the right things, maybe praying each day has become your Levite priest. Surely God will look on me with favor because I 
And whatever you put in front of that, if it's not Christ and his work, then it's sin and you've become like Micah. Because in reality, it's far easier, it's far more easy to come to church to do those things than it is to deal with the sin in our heart. And Micah knew this. Micah, Micah wanted to live the way he wanted. He didn't mind stealing from his own mother. He liked having a God that he could control so easily. A God who, who only looks down and, and is impressed with those things. And we've got to be honest about this. We have to be honest about this. If you're relying on those things, it's not enough. And to be perfectly honest, God is not impressed with your going to church. God is not impressed with you helping other people. God is not impressed with you saying things the right way. He's not. Your works will never fill the void. And it's so foolish. It's so foolish to believe. And we see it in this passage that a man who's stolen from his own mother built idols in his house, ordained his son as a priest when he shouldn't, could believe that God would look down on him and say, man, this guy's pretty dodgy, but he is a Levite priest, so he's blessed. It's just as foolish for us to think when we have sin in our own hearts that going to church and doing these things, God's going to look down at us once a week on Sunday and say, they're a church, tick, all good. These things are sinful and it's reducing God to a God who can be controlled. And if you're someone like that in this room, I have very good news for you. Very good news for you. And we'll come back to that later. But you see, I don't think this is also, this is not something that we as Christians can avoid. We as Christians also can fall into this exact same trap. You see, there is a constant pull in our hearts to be like Micah to forget what God has done for us and to reduce God to a God we can control. And something I've noticed in our Christian lives is that we can very easily become complacent in our sin and to just play the religious game. We can very easily stop pursuing God, pursuing Jesus, and just become, go through the cycle week to week and not realize before long that we become like Michael, who, who, who when we're not dealing with the sin in our own hearts, but are simply going through the motions. And so I have to ask us as believers, do we have sin in our lives that we've gotten used to, that we've come complacent in, and we think for a second that God's okay with us just coming to church, doing these things as a cover-up for this sin? We cannot do this. We cannot forget the Lord like Micah. We cannot reduce God down to one who just does what we want. It's heavy stuff, but we need to think about it. Homemade religion has no power to transform us and to bring us into a right relationship with God. But let's keep moving through this story. We're looking at chapter 18 now. So in verse 1, we're introduced to the final major players of this story. So we'll see that we, 
we're introduced to the tribe of Dan. It says in verse 1, In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So we see that the tribe of Dan is looking for a place to dwell. And already this shows to us, it reminds us of Israel's sin because they should have had a place to dwell if Israel had done what they were supposed to do. So at this stage they do not. They're looking for an inheritance. And in verse 2, they send out five spies to go and look at some land to see whether it's good to live in. And they come across Micah's Levite priest. And then there's this interesting interrogation of him in verses 3 and 4. The Danites say to the Levite, what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? And so Micah tells them, I'm here to serve Micah. The Levite tells them, sorry, that I'm here to serve Micah. And the Danites reply with something that is very interesting. Once they know that he is a priest, in verse 5, they immediately ask the, the priest to inquire of the Lord. And this reveals two things about the Danites. One, they have not been inquiring of the Lord themselves about what they are doing. And two, it reveals to them that they have a similar heart to Micah. Because they knew this guy was serving idols. But they thought, I need, they needed to know. They needed to get some leverage about what they were doing. And the Levite replies to them in verse 6, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Now, we mustn't be fooled by the expressions here. I don't for a second believe that anywhere in these passages that they're actually actually speaking to God. That this is actually Yahweh who's confirming that he has their eye on them. And we know that by the action. This priest is serving idols. These are empty words. Because they're in complete disregard for the Lord. But this is good enough for the tribe of Dan, so they send out some spies to this place called Laish. They see that it's good for the taking, they report back, and then they send out 600 warriors to this place with the spies, and once again they stop by Micah's house. Now this is very interesting. Look at what the five scouts say to the rest of the people in verse 14. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, and a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. Consider what you will do. You see, again, it's revealing the heart of the nation of Israel. See, it was not enough for the tribe of Dan that they had already received a word from the Lord. It was not enough that they had gone and spied out the land, that it was good for the taking. They needed more leverage. And they also wanted to play the religious game. And so let's read what they do from verse 16. Now the 600 men and the Danites armed with their weapons of war stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these men, when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? 
And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went with the people. Can you, can you see what's going on here? The tribe of Dan is in just as bad of a place as Micah. They're trying to, to win God's favor by their action, to ultimately just to do what they wanted to do. And what's more is we see this Levite priest who would become like a father and a son to Micah just ups and leaves. He has a better offer on the table. I hope you can see what's underlying all these actions. What's consistent throughout all these verses is that every single character we're introduced to is only thinking about themselves. Their idol is themselves. And that brings us to our next point. Home-made religion sets ourselves up as gods. It makes the self the center of all that we do. And this is why it's so toxic because it says that we need to earn God's favor that we can control God and therefore it turns every situation into a way of, of getting our own approval so we don't we don't go to church to to do that to worship God we go to church because that keeps up our own appearance we don't help others because we help them because we love God we help them because it makes us look good in religion, everything becomes about your standard of whether you're doing enough. And it doesn't become about your hearts. And we need to constantly asking ourselves the question, has our Christianity been reduced to serving ourselves? Like, who makes the decisions in your life? Are there certain areas where God's allowed in? God, you can come into this space, but, but you can't come near my workplace because that's my own. Or is God the God of all of your life? Has your Christianity been reduced to living for yourself, as it was for the Danites, as it was for Micah, as it was for the Levite priest? Has your relationship with God become more about you? But let's keep moving through. We've got one more thing that will come out clearly in this passage. So the Danites, having taken away the idols and the priest from Micah, knowing who Micah is as a character, we know that he's not going to be overly happy about it. And so he gathers his friends and his family. He, he catches up to the tribe of Dan and he says to them probably the most crushing statement in verse, oh, verse 23. Dan says to Micah, what is the matter with you? What, why have you come with such company? And then we read in verse 24 the most crushing statement from Micah. And here's what he says. And he said, you take my gods and my, the gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? 
you can see here God, uh, Micah actually reveals his heart. He admits that these gods were made by him. He calls his priest the priest, even though this was supposed to be like a, he was supposed to be like a son to him. And he realizes that he has nothing left. Left. He didn't actually care about what the Lord wanted. He reveals that identity had become in the religious acts that he was doing. His whole identity was wrapped up in his idol worship, in his Levite priest. And that brings us to our last point. Homemade religion will leave you empty. It will leave you empty. You see, Micah's whole life was caught up in this. And he says, what do I have left? And he had nothing left. And and the reality is, if we're building our whole walks with God up on our religious deeds, on what we're doing, it will fall down. It will. Whether it's soon or whether it's later, it will fall down. Down. This is why Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, he says that many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many people will stand before God and they'll point to their religious acts and say, God, I did this for you. I did that for you. I had a Levite priest for you. I went to church every week for you. While at the same time, they were living in sin. They never really knew God. And so the challenge for our hearts is that us. Because we will lose everything and it will leave us empty. So Micah loses everything and returns back home. And we see that Dan takes the priest and the idols, marches upon the city of Laish, and they get utterly destroyed. Actually, no, they don't. If I was God, I would have let them get utterly destroyed. But thankfully, I'm not God. But they actually, they take over the land. They win over these people. And they set up a name for themselves. They call, it, they call the city Dan. But the tragedy and the mess of all of this is summed up in the last two verses. And it's really quite hard to read. Look at what it says. And the people of Dan set up the carved images for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Can you see the messiness of this situation? The utter failure of Israel. We have this tribe who who sets up these idols as the ones who gave them victory. And it mentions that twice in these last two verses. But not only that, do you see that we actually get the name of the priest, finally? Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of who? Moses. So far had the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, fallen, 
that Moses' great-grandson was an idol worshipper. This is a very messy story, but it highlights for us just how far Israel had fallen. It highlights for us that there's no surprise that God handed them over to their enemies because they'd reduced him to be exactly like the other gods. While all the while they thought they could just play the religious game and they were missing the point entirely. God was not in this. And I think the most crushing verse is verse 31. It contrasts. They set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as what? The house of God was at Shiloh. It just shows how far they were missing the point. Here we have a priest serving idols by the house of God is at Shiloh. This is the only time the house of God have mentioned in Judges and it's mentioned in a way to show that Israel were not even thinking about it. They were not even present serving God's house. And I think we need to honestly ask ourselves the question as a church, are we playing these religious games? Have we reduced God like Israel had done? Have we forgotten who the Lord is? And there's ultimately only one remedy to this situation. You see, Israel's biggest mistake was they'd forgotten what the Lord had done for them. They'd forgotten that the Lord was the one who rescued them out of Egypt. Not because of anything good in them, not because they could do anything themselves to rescue themselves, but because God was good, he rescued them out of Israel, out of Egypt. He brought them in. He defeated the Egyptian armies. He made them a nation. He gave them laws He blessed them. He brought them into a a land for themselves and yet they forgot who he was. They forgot what he had done. They needed to remember. And the remedy is the same for us. The remedy is the same for us. We need to remember what God has done. We need to remember the gospel. So you see, the remedy is the good news that there's nothing we can do to be made right with God. The remedy is the good news that we fall utterly short. Romans talks about that there is none who are good. All have turned aside. All are unworthy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The sin in our heart is so great, the Bible doesn't say we fall short, but it also says that we were dead. Nothing we could do. But the good news is that there is one who was perfect. There was one who was obedient to God. There was one who who came to this earth to show us God, and that was Christ. And Jesus himself, who fulfilled the law perfectly, who was the only one who ever could walk in that true relationship with God, went to the cross and died. He died to take upon himself 
our sin, our condemnation, the wrath that we deserved, all our religiosity, he took upon himself and he died. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, took, that, took our sin upon himself, our trespasses, and made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. This is what Israel forgot. They forgot that the Lord had rescued them. And I think we easily can forget this as well. We easily can forget what Christ has done. And so I want to close by saying this. You know, it's interesting in this story, we don't actually see what happens to Micah. Micah loses all that he had his identity in. And then the text just says that he went home. But I like to think that there's two things that Micah could have done when he went home. One, he could have realized that he'd lost his identity. He could have realized that he no longer had these religious things to do to achieve his own righteousness. And he could have thought, well, I'm going to try all the more hard. I'm going to work all the more hard Continue in my sin and work all the more hard to control and to please God. That's one option he had. The other option is in his realization of his own sin and his own idolatry, he could have pleaded to the Lord for mercy. He could have pleaded to God to forgive his sins. He could have remembered what God had done and given his life over. And he would have found forgiveness. And so the question for you today is, what choice will you make? Will you be like Micah and just think you need to work harder and harder? Or will you give up and cry out to the Lord and understand what Christ has done, that he's paid for your sin, that he's made a way And if if you are a Christian here today, then we need to know that God approves of us. We need to know that we are actually sons and daughters of the Lord when we believe in Christ. You know, when Jesus goes into ministry, he is baptized. And what happens at his baptism? The Spirit comes upon him and the Lord says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And the reality for us is if we were in Christ, that is true of us. You don't have to earn his favor. You don't have to cover over your sin with religious deeds. You need to go to him as a believer. Cry out to him. Repent of those things. And then walk in the truth. We mustn't become like Israel. We mustn't forget the Lord. Homemade religion will never give us life. Only Christ can do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you didn't leave our salvation up to us. That 
You didn't ask us to try and make ourselves right with you. Thank you so much that you sent Christ, that you yourself came in the flesh to live, to die, and to rise again for the sake of reconciling us back to you. Lord, I pray for those of us who have never understood this, who have been looking to themselves for the answers, that they'll understand that they are sinners and need of a saviour. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, we all fall into the trap of trying to work to prove ourselves to you. We all fall into the trap of becoming comfortable with our sin. Lord, help us to realise when we're doing this. Help us to see that, Lord, let our relationship with you always be about pursuing you as a personal God, never making you distant, never trying to control you and becoming self-centred. Just remind us of Christ. Remind us of all that means for for our lives today and help us to walk in these truths. We need you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.